This is a Broad Pods production. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When it comes to women's rights, in many cases, the freedoms we have today are because of the persistence of lawyers who've gone before us. So how does the law protect and empower women? Well, understanding your rights is a good place to start. In this podcast, we go inside landmark cases and the laws that have redesigned society. And we'll hear from strong, smart and experienced lawyers determined to make a difference in the lives of women and girls. I'm Jo Stanley and this is Lay Down the Law. Lay Down the Law is a collaboration between Broad Radio and Morris Blackburn Lawyers. Morris Blackburn Lawyers, experience you can count on. When we talk about how the law impacts women, a lot of the time, one of the most detrimental effects when a law falls short is on women's mental health. We've seen this already in the first three episodes of this podcast series. In episode one, when we spoke about women's reproductive rights being threatened. In episode two, when we explored the gender inequality in superannuation and how that contributes to poverty. And in episode three, when we met the three Aboriginal sisters who fought to save their sacred land from a nuclear waste dump. In all of these stories, women's mental health really suffered. And so as we're halfway through this series, we thought it was a great opportunity to take a sidestep away from legal issues and to stop down and talk about how we can normalise mental health, especially in times of high pressure and stress like the holidays season. What are some techniques we can all use for better mental health? And how can we support each other and be great allies for those in our community whose voices aren't heard enough? As a part of their focus on mental health, Morris Blackburn Lawyers have partnered with Mental Health Foundation Australia. And both our guests for this really important conversation are ambassadors for MHFA. So let's meet them. Harlan Gandock is a counsellor who works largely with adolescents and culturally and linguistically diverse communities. And Flick Manning is an author and chronic illness advocate. Harlan and Flick, it is so great to dive into normalising mental health with you both. Thank you so much for having me. So I know mental health challenges happen all year round, obviously, and most definitely all the points that we're going to be raising in this episode and the strategies that we share are relevant all year round. But there is something unique about the holiday season, isn't there? And, you know, it's the end of year rush, the family gatherings, this intense social pressure. It does tend to heighten feelings of struggle, doesn't it? Um, So the holiday period is a very high stress time and it's very, very common and it's really normal. It's a really normal moment in across the year where a lot of people do feel that high level of fatigue, stress, burnout. It's 
um, you know, for a lot of us this year in particular, it's the end point after a first normal year post, I guess, the two years of lockdown or interruption that we've had. So for a lot of people, this particular period is coming out to where everyone just needs needs a break. Um, and it's really, really normal. Almost half the population, um, and I can say that just in amongst the young people I work with and, and the team I work with are reaching that end point of we're, we're done and we actually just need a break because we've had so many ups and downs. Um, there's this big expectation that the end of the year is supposed to be fun and people should be celebrating and people should be really um, grateful that we're having this period after, you know, we haven't been able to have it for a couple of years and people just have a lot of pressure on themselves and amongst their communities to, to make it something really amazing when for a lot of us we don't really want that right now. We actually just want to take a step back or just um, go, actually, this doesn't feel right for me right now um, and maybe I need a little bit of a pause and then I can come back to to celebrating or acknowledging celebrations or end of year sort of activities as well. It's so interesting you say we don't really want that right now because there's such that <laughs> sense that oh, I'm obligated to do this, but really is it right for yeah. me? What are you seeing, Flick? Yeah, look, I think I can definitely mirror that in, in my community with people with chronic illnesses and disabilities in particular that, you know, as, as you mentioned, Harlan, this is the first year, I guess, out of lockdown, but for people like myself who are immunocompromised or uh, really still struggling with the ongoing pandemic, this year not only marks a sense of continued isolation for us as a lot of us have completed year three in isolation and are looking at at least a year four ahead, which is very gloomy. It's a very gloomy prospect, but we're also very much being pushed into trying to bring us back into a world that no longer really has any desire whatsoever to protect us in a, in a situation where we could die. And that's a really high pressure thing to be in at the same time as also wanting to be with family and to be with friends and have human contact and just the same other things that, that people would be going through, the financial pressures, the the obligation where we're so severely burnt out and overstimulated. I mean, you know, that it's just a lot. And I think Helen is absolutely correct. I think for most of us, there's this feeling of, I really shouldn't be doing this right now. This is not great for my mental health. It's not great for my physical health, but at the same time, I need to make it joyful and I need to make it fun and I need to buy the presents and I need to show up and it's just a lot. It's a, it's a really, it's a huge amount for the brain. Mm. Is, mm. It, is it partly exacerbated by that sense of obligation? I think a lot of people feel obliged to make this holiday season different to, to what we've had, to almost make up for loss. Um, and it, it comes in with, you know, financial pressures like Flick mentioned. You know, a lot of people might have been out of work for some time and now there's this expectation to, to be able to buy gifts or to provide um, or to to make up for, for things that we've lost and, yeah, just create this sense of um, magic or something that, that hasn't, you know, that we've missed out on, which is which is okay for, for some, but, you know, and it, and it does also then come with that obligation of, well, we couldn't socialise and now there's all these um, Christmas events or end-of-year gatherings that a lot of communities and, and workplaces are happening and there's just this you feel really obliged to go and participate in these things because you couldn't before. 
but then you also feel like, oh, I think that a lot of the community has a sense of, oh, well, if we go back into a situation where these things are taken away, like we have to quickly fit these things in now so that, you know, if, if it doesn't happen again, then we've missed out. Mm. Yeah, I think especially for, you know, um, children, teenagers, elderly people, you know, there's a lot of families going, uh, you know, people interstate, you know, I'm in that in that boat where people are spending inordinate amounts on flights to try and get to each other this year where and that's, you know, with the cost of living, that's an even higher situation. So you've got people putting themselves through these really high financial situations to get together and then at the same time you might have elderly people and you're thinking this could be the last Christmas we can all get together and there's there's a lot of those things where people have delayed and delayed catching up for for people's safety and now it's almost throwing complete caution to the wind in in the hope that we fit it all as you said Harlan into this one year uh, in the hope that you know we get to do everything that we missed out on previously and that's just extremely high pressure I mean even if it wasn't specifically for end of year stuff, putting yourself through that collectively as a society, we're going to see the cracks. And I think we're already seeing them a couple of weeks out. Mm. So in any normal year, though, this, you know, whether we're going into a holiday period or whether we're going into sort of events where the whole world is engaging in one celebration, and that can happen any time of year, there are very much for some members of our community a sense of loneliness. Do you see that? With the young people that I work with come from um, refugee backgrounds or newly arrived, um, a lot of them are asylum seekers and a lot of them are sometimes the first in their families or communities to, to, to come to Australia or to, to be away from where they might have been born and raised for a long time. You know, young people are seeing their friends, perhaps spending time with their family or talking about things that they're going to do in school holidays or in this summer break. And then there's this community of young people that are like, oh, well, I haven't really got those um, maybe friendships as yet or those community groups and things. There's a big sense of loneliness in amongst all of the other things that are coming with the end of the year sort of emotions as well. Yeah, we certainly see that in our communities as well with just that sense of impending loneliness. I mean, a lot of people don't have family support when you have a a chronic illness or a disability. There is a huge portion of that community that don't have a family that understand or that make things accessible for them. Uh, A lot of invisible illnesses and disabilities are widely disbelieved even by the medical community. So if you are experiencing an illness that somebody can't see but also affects your ability to function, sometimes it's extremely hard to navigate a family and friends situation. Some people just simply don't get invited to anything at all. Other people do get invited, but their accessibility needs are completely ignored or overlooked. Uh, And so, you know, those people attending in person may still feel lonely, even though they're actually around other people because they can't participate in the you know, festivities in the same way that other people do. And I think um, your reference to family there, Flick, highlights too that there is nothing like a time at which families are celebrating to emphasise for you if you feel like you're a bit of a misfit in your family or if there's any kind of tension or if there's any sort of, you know, families bring so much love but also so much hurt and that can be so exacerbated, can't it? Absolutely. Yeah, it's, I mean, these are often people that have obviously known you since the day that that you were born, they've observed your journey and every family has their own set of values and expectations of what they expect in terms of how you interact and how you move through the world. 
And I think in those high pressure situations where, you know, there is a lot of, uh, you know, money being spent, time being spent, pressure to kind of act in a certain way, it may be the one time of year that you need to behave differently to how you would the rest of the year where you get to choose how you navigate the world a little bit more and suddenly you're having to play the game that you did when you were, you know, a bit younger and living under that roof. And I think everybody goes through that, that period naturally of wanting to be more independent of their family and to make their way through the world as an individual. If you've got something that uh, others you by, whether it's by ableism in society or simply just by, you know, cultural difference or value difference, that's going to be highlighted in that situation. You add some some tiredness, some huge amounts of sugar consumption, some alcohol, alcohol. some heat, yes. you know, you throw all of that into the equation and we've just got a, a lovely cauldron just waiting to bubble up and spill over and that certainly happens a lot, you know, whether sometimes people just, it, it falls apart before the day, sometimes it falls apart on the day, sometimes there's fallout, you know, coming coming out of that. So depending on how you normally navigate that, that can also be certainly very complex. And you want family to be accepting and loving and to embrace you with open arms, but that's simply not the reality for a lot of people. And I think that's an important point to acknowledge that, you know, family is sometimes great, sometimes chosen family is actually more suitable for your well-being. With the young people that I work with, teenagers, a lot of the time, yeah, the family is perhaps not necessarily um, supportive of a lot of different things. We know that the rates of family violence goes up significantly. We know that there's a lot more reports of um, abuse and not just with young people but with adults as well. And so we know that this period can bring a lot of you know, negativity for a lot of people and it can bring that stress because it's you're going into this uncertainty sometimes where you don't know and you can't predict sometimes what this period is going to bring for you. So it's not unusual, I think, for many of us to find ourselves uh, self-soothing in ways that perhaps aren't really helpful. You know, it's natural to want to comfort ourselves, but sometimes that can trigger behaviours that are really not useful or actually um, exacerbate the issue again. Yeah, that's very true. And it's an interesting thing. Something that I've done a lot of study on is, you know, advanced neurobiology and neurotransmitters, the nervous system and things like that. It's extremely common because our brains have this entire chemical system and we react chemically to people and to environments, to food, all those kinds of things. So in those high pressure situations where we're probably running a little bit more on adrenaline and cortisol, which is our stress hormone, when that's sort of peaked and we're sort of effectively using our fight or flight system, which happens a lot in those situations with family in those high pressure environments, or if you're feeling isolated or different or othered in some way, uh, you're going to then seek stimulants and other things that are going to give you that dopamine and serotonin and endorphins, all the other things that make us feel a bit better. But the the issue with that is that we can keep on tapping those buttons too often and what sends us up sends us straight back down. And so you repeat the cycle over and over again. So, you know, you have a drink and suddenly you're full of serotonin and dopamine and that feels really, really great. But of course, then you crash 15, 20 minutes later and your brain goes, oh, you know what I did? I had a drink and that made me feel good. And you top up on dopamine and serotonin again. Of course, the issue is your body can't keep replacing it that quickly. So the inevitable deep crash is going to come. And that's often where we see this spillover of emotion and tension. And 
physically feeling extremely fatigued, frazzled, drained, you know, overtired, overstimulated. The tears come out even when you've got the drink in your hand in the end. You know, mm. I mean, it's enough that we're going to be mm. sitting there chewing on fruit cake and shoving sugar in and doing all the things <laughs> exactly. that we're doing. I mean, it's, yeah. just, it's a chemical neurotransmitter nightmare. So we need to, to find ways to calm oh, absolutely. the farm. <laughs> but what I really love about that, that part of this conversation is really understanding that it's normal and the self-acceptance that we need to come to. Like, I think that there's an element of shame too, and we feel guilty. Why aren't we having fun? And, oh, now I've, oh gosh, I got drunk again. So I wake up feeling really, you know, full of regret and self-loathing around that. That starts a whole other cycle. And it is about just acceptance, understanding it's normal, and somehow finding that self-compassion and self-kindness, isn't it? Yeah, I think self-kindness is, is a really big thing. I think we're exceptionally good at being kind to other people, but we're not very practised at being kind to ourselves. And actually, that's where real kindness comes from. So we need to spend a bit more time being uh, kind and empathetic and recognising our humanity. Uh, when we do that, we're much more inclined to do that for the people around us as well. You know, 100% of that holiday time is that time where people feel obligated or pressured to provide fathers and give fathers and do fathers but we we'd all definitely forget to take a step back and actually go actually what do I need in this moment right now and most people struggle to say no to a lot of things and in this time a lot of people feel like you should just cope or you know like you're surrounded by friends and family in this time you should you should just feel better or you know it'll, it'll just go away naturally but we forget that you know like if we need something or we need help, that there are still lots of services and supports available in this time. And it's really important that we go, okay, maybe it's a time for me to say no or to create a, um, a boundary or something with, some, with a person or with, with a social event or whatever it might be. Mm, I really love that. And it does lead me into a perfect segue for me to dive a little deeper flick into your communities, the people living with disabilities and people living with chronic illness, because that sense of having to establish a boundary is something you live with every day. And certainly in and around times of holidays and great celebration where people are, there's big crowds of people gathering. Um, I know that obviously we're still living with COVID and, and for your communities, it's a very different experience. I'd love to hear more and understand more so that people who, you know, as you say, the humanity in all of us can really reach out and connect and understand and maybe be better supporting. We've gone from this sort of we're all in it together sort of mentality uh, where we as a community had the opportunity to, you know, exist side by side in a, in a slightly more equal fashion in lockdown. So we had sort of a sense of camaraderie uh, to some extent, and that gave us a lot of hope that maybe when we came out of lockdowns that society would change a, a little bit and be more understanding and empathetic to our needs because people would have experienced something similar themselves. But the discourse in the last 12 months has sadly proven that to be incorrect, and if anything, this year has really reached a lot of people in our community like a, a gut punch. And we take huge risks every day just existing in the world in any way, shape or form, but now we're even getting peer pressure to take our masks off and to be involved in things. And there's a, there's a real sense of hostility because I think we inadvertently act as a reminder that the pandemic is ongoing, that it hasn't stopped and that there is still danger. And collectively, I think as a society, 
quite naturally, people don't want to hear it about it anymore. They want to live in the illusion that it's all done. So I think really what we're asking for, you know, coming into this season is for able-bodied people, you know, especially in our families and friends, to recognise that when we talk about being, you know, inclusive, we're not saying addition. We're not saying we want you to do more or extra we want to normalise the accessibility needs of people so that we, we can interact with the world like everybody else because we are human and we still need our social interaction. We need our family and friends and our, our social time together. You know, that's a, it's a human need, really. And in order to do that, you know, if we're saying we've got a food allergy or can you please have the windows open so that transmission risks are reduced or, you know, please don't peer pressure us to take our masks off, these are not drastic things that we're asking for us we're coming into this with a higher level of fear and risk than the average person we desperately want to be with you that's why we're asking for these things not to make it harder for you but because we we love you and we want to be with you and and enjoy that time together so you know prioritize our well-being in the same way that you would for grandma or grandpa or for the little kids and things like that so Harlan, because of the groups that you work you work with, you work with adolescents and you work with culturally and linguistically diverse communities. So does some of what you're hearing, Flick, say, reflect your experience of those communities, that they aren't heard, that their particular needs are perhaps not mentioned or even recognised in sort of a mainstream conversation? I feel very strong about some of the different systems that we have and how they can be better incorporated into society. And... You know, a lot of the young people and families that I work with, the, the, the most obvious sometimes um, barrier to them is language. Is, and so just navigating supports and systems in itself is such a big hurdle and a lot of these communities go without. Um, I think some good things came out of COVID in that um, suddenly all information and resources were translated about the pandemic and about um masking up and about you know safety measures that people were putting in place but I think that like that was a great something really successful that came out of it and I think we can learn from that and go okay well we should we should do that for for all all things that we have in Australia you know we are a very multicultural nation and you know that's another thing a lot of these communities aren't well versed in technology or it's not something that they're comfortable in or some of the some of the young kids have have never had a laptop or a phone so this is a whole new concept so um just you know making i guess adjustments similar to to what flix mentioned just you know they want they want to be part of a lot of things and they want to be part of school communities and and out of school activities and all these things but just making adjustments so that they can be part of it too because they want to be um but sometimes they don't know how or they don't know how to communicate that or they can't use, you know, all of the online social media platforms that a lot of young people take for granted because it's not something they've had a lot of access to. And um, going into lockdown, that in itself, using that word lockdown, you know, a lot of a lot of people have come from refugee camps or have fled war-torn countries, and and lockdown means something completely different to them. And so the impact that 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 this has had. You know, we've been in two years of, of lockdown and we still continue to use lockdown every now and again. And um, you just don't know how triggering it is to someone who might have actually had this kind of experience where um, they've been in, in, in another country in lockdown and, and the trauma that that's you know, brought on for them. 
Stay with us. After this, we'll learn some really useful strategies to try when the holidays, or just life in general, gets just too hard. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So it's really fantastic, of course, to be speaking about mental health and normalising the fact that all of us struggle to varying degrees um, and it's okay. And uh, acceptance of that is really, really key. But let's go a little bit further and make this a useful conversation. Um, And let's think about what works. What are some strategies and some uh, techniques that we can either use ourselves or perhaps help those in our world um, to explore and feel a little bit better, I suppose, is what we're hoping for. What what have you seen work, Harlan, as far as people that you work with, engage with mm-hmm. in your world? Mm-hmm. It, I think one of the biggest things that we've really tried to focus on this year, this whole year, um, everyone's feeling all sorts of emotions and it's, it's normal. It, whatever it is that you're feeling is the most important thing because if you're not feeling so great, going actually this is how I'm feeling or this is what I'm experiencing and also having the conversation around being realistic just being realistic on what things you can and get done or things that you wish to get done so really giving young people that yeah I guess that sense of control and empowerment of of what they might like to get done in this time and then just yeah bringing it back to that that's been really successful for a lot of the young people that we work with. And I I think a lot of it about that is really empowering yourself and in this instance, the young people you're working with, but anybody in your life, really empowering yourself to say, well, the rest of the world might be doing it that way, but I have to do it this way. This is my expectation of myself and it might be different from everybody else, but that's all I'm going to do and that's okay as well. Like really honouring that and it feels like it's sort of a theme for this conversation is you, I mean, you you do you, like we use that meme a lot, but it's actually really important, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Because if you don't do you, um, it's very hard for you to, 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 for a lot of people, for just to do basic things sometimes, like if they don't take that that time for themselves to, to reset or recoup or whatever it is we have to do us we have to take care of us to really be able to to do the best that we can and be the best that we can be flick i know that you work as a coach with um people who come to you and share a lot of their struggles but you yourself i know have your own mental health struggles that you share um how have you got through difficult times like this well i really employ a lot of self-advocacy and that definitely ties into what we're talking about you know you do you and that's an it's definitely an an art form it has to be practiced and it's very individualized i like to try to say to people that part of the the blessing of being a human is recognizing that there is a lot about you and how you work that is going to be unique to you and it's a journey that you'll continue to take until the day that you die and that's actually a beautiful thing that you get to 
go on that journey. So it's really about finding things that, that work for you. So it means a lot of experimenting and trying different things and not making the assumption that what the person on the left does from you, what your family member does from you, what your friend does for you, that may or may not work for you. It's about finding stuff and then honouring those things that, that work for you. For me specifically, you know, I'm, I'm part of what we call the Spoonie community. So if you've not heard that term before and you're listening, it essentially means we, as people with chronic illnesses and disabilities, we very often don't recharge in the same way as an able-bodied person where they could just take a nap and then have the energy levels back to keep functioning as per normal. We, we don't recharge in the same way because a lot of us experience high levels of pain, which is extremely fatiguing in and of itself or symptoms that affect our, our functionality on a, on a literally hour to hour basis. So we think about, you know, if able-bodied people have got the entire utensil drawer, when you've finished with all the spoons, you can just go and use a fork or a ladle or whatever else is in the drawer and keep on going. Once we've run out of spoons, we've run out of spoons. So we have to be very, very clear about what we do with our time and our energy. Uh, so one thing that I practice is a little acronym that I've come up with. It's called REST, which works really well with mm -hmm. what we're talking about. And it means realistic energy sustaining tactics. So it's everything about how do I realistically sustain the energy that I've got right now. Certainly this time of year for people, whether they have an illness or a disability or not, is an extremely overstimulating time. So it's something I think that we can all practice and benefit from is thinking about how can I realistically sustain the energy that I have, taking a little breaks, going outside for, for a breath of fresh air, going into the dark for a minute if you can, or you know, doing a, a breathing technique, taking an extra 60 seconds in the bathroom just to breathe calmly through your nose, in for four, out for four. These things are really amazing for the, the nervous system and those are things that I employ on a day-to-day -day basis anyway, but in those heightened settings, those are things that I would be doing. Go into 2023 with some sense of energy and resources and re being ready for the year rather than going in even more burnt out. Just take a breath. Mm. Oh, just take a breath. It's my favourite thing in the whole world. Um, I think I enjoy your earlier, you referenced uh, having a cry as well, <laughs> Flick, which, uh, and you're, you're nodding furiously at me there, Harlan, yes. as well. How good is having oh, a cry? It's so good. It's so cathartic. And it's just sometimes a person feels the, the most biggest release of tension or the, the biggest relief of, of whatever's going on just through crying. And sometimes you don't need talk therapy. You don't need, you know, anything sometimes in that moment. Sometimes that is honestly the best stress relief or, or it just takes out whatever is going on inside of you in that moment. And it's okay to have a cry. It really is. We've got tear ducts for a reason. Let it happen. Let it just, you know, if you need to step out from the moment, that's okay. But let it happen. It's really, really good for you. As you said, Harlan, we have tear ducts for a reason and I try to explain crying to people a lot in my coaching and my presentations. It's simply a response to being overstimulated. You know, we can cry when we are surprised by something joyful, when we're in love, when there's, you know, when we're extremely tired, you know, there's so many reasons why we cry. It does not necessarily mean that there's some big tragic thing that's going on. It's our brain's response to it. And when we cry, we release oxytocin, which is the same uh, chemical that's released when, when we do fall in love, when we embrace another human being, when we've had really good sex, when we have the birth of a baby, this is the same chemical that's released in, in that situation. And it's literally the brain saying, 
hold on, we need to do a chemical reset. This is getting way too overwhelming. I can't do my job effectively and keep your body functioning. We need to shed some tears. We need to get some oxytocin into you. And that's why you feel better. We're, we're literally doing a chemical reset. So I just try and say to people, mm. doesn't mean anything bad. Just let your body do the chemical reset. It's fantastic for it. It helps you to detox and function. Once you've had those tears, your brain's like, beautiful. Now I know mm. what I can do. I can function. It's a lovely gift that you can give yourself. Oh, I love it. It's my, literally my... your whole body reset. It's all inbuilt. It knows what it's doing. Just let yeah, the yeah. natural sort of, yeah, progression of it happen. Let yourself be a human. <laughs> yes. Mm. Well, my, in yeah. my family, my family, I cry so much. My daughter will say, Dad, Mum's crying again. <laughs> They're like, oh, okay. <laughs> and my husband will be like, do you need, am I checking in or are you okay? I'm like, no, I'm fine. Just let me cry. It just feels, it's the best. Um, and I actually, I think this leads to, to understanding what works for you. I, one of my favorite quotes is from Isaac Dinison who said, um, the cure for all things is salt water, sea, sweat or tears. And I just think for me, that really is pertinent because I love the sea. I love exercise and I love a good cry. So mm. a lot of it is about really understanding what works for you. It's also a bit like when you're crying and someone's like, stop crying, why are you crying? And you're like, this is my thing. Um, I, I need you to maybe stop because that's not helping the situation or when people are like, oh, just oh, don't worry, you, it'll be fine. It's that same response of like, well, no, this is what I need and I know this is what I need or, you know, just please give me, give me the space to do that. Mm. And in and around that, as you're exploring, you know, that self-inquiry, I mean, prevention is better than cure, right? So I think it's also important to understand for you what your triggers are, like what actually is going to take you outside that window of tolerance and such that you feel really overwhelmed. Um, that's, mm. that's a really important part of your own self-discovery and self-awareness. 100%. And I think there's great ways that you can discover what those triggers are. I mean, a lot of people will know they're maybe two or three big triggers because there's a pattern to it that's really obvious for them. Maybe there's something that makes them really angry and it's the same button that keeps getting pushed over and over again. And, and anger is extremely energy draining, you know, in the same way that pain and other things are as well. So those things tend to be relatively obvious, but there's a lot of different kinds of triggers that people have. And one of the things that uh, you know, I educate on is what I call, you know, having a mindful living tracker. And this is a really great way for people to work out, you know, what self-care things work for them, what foods work for them, what, you know, activities work for them, what kind of circumstances change that. You know, it's sort of like having a, a, a something that you write down, a template that you write down at the end of each day, sort of what you ate, what you did in the morning, what happened at lunch, what happened in the evening. And if you do that for two or three weeks, because as Harlan was saying, it can take time to work these things out. If you do that for two or three weeks and then at the end of it, go back and review, you will find patterns very obviously in front of you showing, oh, well, when I do running and I do that in the morning, it's not as effective for me as when I'm doing it in the evening. Or when I'm having this kind of food, I find that I'm sort of my energy's going up and then I feel really sluggish at this time. Those kinds of things can help you to discover what those trackers are, sorry, triggers are, and can also help you to discover what is and isn't working for you because it allows you to sort of take a slightly more objective or outside view of those things. And I want all of us to hold hands and agree 
as a worldwide community, but even just within our own families and friends, that we will allow those that we love to do the things that's important for them, that we'll actually all agree, oh, if that's what you've blocked out, then we will honour that and let you do that thing that you need to do, right? Because I think, yeah, sometimes we expect too much of the people that we love. The last thing I would uh, say is even though we know that we need the thing, whatever that thing is, for me it's meditation, uh, and we know the thing we should not be doing, for me I should not be drinking every day, sometimes I don't actually I don't actually do those things. And sometimes I just go, yeah, I know that, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I'm just, even though it's affecting my mental health. So it's important, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on the best ways of doing this, Harlan. It's really important that we know we're not alone and to reach out for help when we need it because we can't do it by ourselves. No, absolutely. And I think one of the biggest things that um, particularly coming up to this time or, or like I said before, in high pressure periods over the course of the year is a lot of people feel a sense of um, like burden reaching out to someone. A lot of people have this inner dialogue of, oh, it's, it's not a big problem or it's fine, I'll get over it or I should, should feel a certain way or I'll just feel better. Um, and we have this inner dialogue of, oh, I don't want to be a burden, I don't want to dump my whatever's going on for me onto this person or to, to this thing. But uh, what, you know, talking about it is, is, is an amazing thing. And if that means that reaching out to a support service or reaching out to a, um, a, a community or an online support group or physical support group, whatever it might be, is, is an amazing thing. And, and they are there for this exact sort of um, reason. But, you know, we can start small. We can start by, if, if it's just journaling, if that's something that helps, you know, get out and, and talk out or take out whatever's going on for you. And I think, you know, like as much as we say, you know, it's really important to reach out, it's really important to reach out and connect if you do need help. Um, I want people to know that there are so many supports available in in this holiday period or just over the course of the year. A lot of services that run um, 24-7, a lot of services that now um, can perform, I guess, a bit of outreach or can, can do it virtually and can do it over the phone, can do telehealth. So many supports have modified and changed with COVID, which has been pretty amazing as well. Flick, if you were able to wave a magic wand and just gift everyone one thing that's going to help with our mental health at this time, what would it be? The gift, if I could give it to everybody, come back to the fact that you are a human being, an all-encompassing, full-spectrum human being that's going to experience every possible emotion and feeling that it's all totally, totally okay that you do, that exactly how you are is exactly how you are. There is no shame in it whatsoever in any experience that you have, that your lived experience is absolutely valid as it is. And so when you're feeling those pressures to change, to fit in, to, you know, do whatever it is, to, to sort of succumb to the pressures around you, come back to honouring that wonderful human that you are and being kind uh, and accepting of that because really you have to be the most accepting person of yourself in this world. You can't guarantee that someone else is going to do that for you, but you can learn to really honour who you are and who you are exactly as you are is a gift. So learn to see yourself that way and then you can give that gift to other people too. 
Oh, thank you for listening to this episode of Lay Down the Law. And thanks very much to Harlan Gandock and Flick Manning for their incredible wisdom and to Mental Health Foundation Australia. If you do feel at any time that you're struggling mentally, please do reach out for help. As Harlan said, you can join a support group at mhfa.org.au. Lifeline is available 24 hours on 13 11 14. So is Beyond Blue at beyondblue.org.au where there are lots of online chat lines there. Or you can call on 1300 224 And we have a bunch of links in our episode notes as well. So please do reach thanks for listening to lay down the law check out the other episodes in this series wherever you get your podcasts and hey drop us a rating while you're there that would be super lovely of you 